So I thought I'd ask you a question first of all. If you had a rucksack uh, with you, and imagine it's going to appear on the screen behind me, so imagine there's a rucksack, uh, and imagine you could only pack in there six things that you had to carry with you the rest of your life. Now, bearing in mind there have got to be six things that are useful for the rest of your life. So you can't put a loaf of bread in there, for obvious reasons. Does it go off? Perhaps it wasn't obvious. I thought that was quite obvious. Never mind. You couldn't put an ice cube in there. So you've got to put things that are going to help you. So we're thinking of things. So you might put pictures of your children, um, if you like them. Um, You could put um, all sorts of things. So just wonder, just have a think for a second. What would you put in your rucksack that you had to carry with you the rest of your life? And anyone want to give me some answers? Bible. Sorry? Bible. Bible. Why have you done that first? (laughs) I'm going to end with that one. (laughs) Okay, anybody else? Swiss Army knife? Right, Tim. <laughs> a bottle for war, very good. No, that's good. No, so I was in joking, pizza. Anybody else? Sorry? A waterproof jacket? Yeah, that's good. That's good. Who? I thought you said souffle. <laughs> Sorry. A sleeping bag? Yeah, that's good. Okay, good. Uh, in all honesty, um, Peter obviously gave the correct answer, which is good. Um, it's, normally we do like a kid's talk. They come out with their voice, Jesus, and how much he loves you, and you think, I was getting to that. Anyway, but uh, that's good. So I wonder, in all honesty, and don't, don't put your hands up, how many of you, when I asked that question, thought, not, not the answers obviously put my Bible in there, but how many of you, in all honesty, would have packed your Bible and thought, I'll pack my Bible? Or was that your first thought? Where did it come in the list? Now, if you were to ask the biblical characters from the Old and New Testament um, what they would take in their rucksack to carry across their life, they would all have answered just as Peter quite rightly did. They would have said the Bible, the law of God, the word of God. You see, Christians, God's people, God's followers, and the Bible, his word, are synonymous. Um, A Christian and the Bible go together. They go together a little bit like Tottenham and regular qualification for the UEFA Champions League. Don't they, Pete? You're a monster. Yeah, well, never mind. Um, And a Christian without their Bible is odd. A Christian who doesn't read their Bible, doesn't even know where their Bible is, or I say with love, doesn't even bring it to church, is a strange thing. It's a little bit like a cyclist without a bike. Or, or a slide without a cyclist without a bike. Is, is that it? There were like six, are there? There should be another four. They were, they were progressively more funny. Just imagine that's really, really funny each time you look at it. And then, uh, is that it? Are we just, are we just doing one? Is that going to be the case for all the other? Oh, there we are. So that's quite, I thought it was quite funny. Next one? Just, just keep going. That's John Lennon, not, not riding his bike. And look, Sean Connery, look, as a young chap without his bike and then an older man without his bike. Um, but a Christian without their Bible is a bit like a cyclist without their bike. Ridiculous. Doesn't make any logical sense. You can't possibly move forward. Um, in early Islam, uh, Christians were known as people of the book. And, uh, and years ago, if uh, someone who didn't believe wanted to have a go at a Christian, they'd refer to us, uh, not affectionately, as Bible bashers. But those terms, although not meant to be compliments, are actually compliments, aren't they? Because, yeah, I'm a person of the book. Yes, I, I, I hit my Bible every single day. I read it every single day. Let me ask you another question. How would you describe yourself? You don't have to answer this one. Don't shout this one out. Uh, but how would you describe yourself? Um, just think, this, this has made me laugh. Um, but what words? If you had to describe yourself, what would you do? What sort of thing? Sorry, that's hilarious, isn't it? That's very funny. <laughs> anyway. Um, but I wonder how you would describe you, your character, your, your personality, the things you do. And it's interesting that the Bible um, describes itself. 
Um, it describes itself at length, actually. When you go from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is always explaining itself, always um, describing itself to the reader. Uh, and it's the most wonderful thing. In Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verse 12, I'm reading Hebrews in my quiet time at the moment, and it's such a fantastic book, uh, as they all are. But Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the writer of Hebrews says this, For the word of God is alive. A fantastic description of the Bible, not dead, not dead ink on a page, but alive. The word of God is alive and active. It's doing something. When we hear the words of God, it, do, it does something, whether we can see it or not. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. Not some, not a few, but any double-edged sword. Think of the sharpest thing. Think of Tim's Swiss Army knife that you wouldn't want to put your hand in, you know, in his rucksack, you might cut yourself. But the word of God is sharper than the sharpest double-edged sword it can cut in any direction it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart nothing in all creation is hidden in God's sight and he goes on to write more the word of God is active it's alive it does things it's sharp in uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3 verse 16 to 17 Paul writes these familiar words he says, all scripture is God-breathed, it's inspired, it's God's words written down. How fantastic is that? That what you've got in your Bible that sits on your bedside tablet or, bedside, uh, cabinet or on your phone as an app, are the very words of God. He breathed them out and somebody wrote them down. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. For it's so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Note the language is always every, always, everything. It's that complete language. The Bible is everything we need in terms of wisdom and the knowledge of God. And then Ephesians chapter 6, again Paul writes these words when describing the armour of God, the spiritual armour that every Christian should put on every day. So take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And that's the only piece of armor in the, um, in the armor of God in Ephesians 6. It's about attacking. The word of God attacks brokenness, attacks darkness, attacks pain because of the wisdom and the living word of God. And the most amazing description of God's word, or at least the people that read it, is found in Psalm 119. I was going to have the Psalm 119 as our reading. If you've never read Psalm 119, you'll know why that's funny later when you look it up. Uh, it's because it's about 4,000 verses long. And uh, we'd have been here till next Sunday. But Psalm 119 describes the word of God in the most wonderful ways, and hopefully some of them will appear here. I won't read them out. You just scroll through. Is it? Is it? Okay, good. 
And so it's a wonderful chapter. If you get a chance to read it, um, you should. Um, because Psalm 119 is fantastic, actually. But the Bible also doesn't just describe itself. It describes those who read it. It describes those who read it as like a tree, a well-watered tree by a stream that will not be moved. Now, I'd like to read Psalm 1 to you, the very first psalm in that book. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a well-watered a well, it's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. Not so the wicked, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So Psalm 1 describes those that trust in God's word as like a well-watered, well-planted tree. And then this morning, I just wanted to think about the importance of being rooted in the word of God, rooted in the Bible, because sadly, many Christians aren't. Many Christians don't really know uh, the book that Jesus uh, is, is all about Jesus and that people died to give to us. Many Christians barely read it. Many Christians aren't even familiar with it. And so you know this because you can say things like, should we look at Mark 17? And people are like, oh yes, Mark 17, I read that yesterday. Mark doesn't have 17 verses. Or you can say the book of Hezekiah is a great one to read. And there's always a few Christians that do that. Is that a real book? No, it's not, by the way, if you get caught out that way. Um, but it's important to read. And so let me ask the first question. How can you be rooted in God's word? How do you get to be rooted in this book so that you're like that well-planted tree? How do you get to be strong and healthy and fruitful spiritually because you're rooted in the Bible? How do you get to be rooted in the word of God? Well, simply, as I just appear behind me, you've got to read it. Um, that's the obvious thing. You've got to actually read it. Um, there's no magic solution, is there? If you don't pick a book up and read it every day, you'll never know what it says. So if you don't read it every day, of course you'll never know what it says. And you'll never be rooted in the promises and the words of God. You should memorize it. Yeah, we memorize song lyrics, famous poetry, uh, great literary scholars like Shakespeare. We love to be able to quote people like that. Brilliant. But I think that's less important than being able to quote the word of God. That's not controversial at all, actually. Um, of course it's not. We should be quoting God's word before we quote anybody else's. Memorize it. You should apply it. I'll read a passage and think, what does it mean for me tomorrow at work? Or wherever I'm doing with the family, what does it mean? Maybe you've just read about Moses and the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. You might think, well, I'm not going to cross a sea anytime soon on dry ground with the Egyptians chasing after me. But maybe you think, I'm facing an obstacle that's insurmountable. I don't know how I'm going to get across but then you realize in that story, God's presence followed them through, took them through the, the river as it parted. That God can part obstacles before us. If we trust in his leading and his guidance, even he can part the waters of a river. He can part our problems in front of us. Or maybe you want to take the analogy from what's coming behind you. Maybe you feel chased by something, an, an enemy, maybe guilt or a decision you made in the past you think is going to catch up with me. And maybe you know that God's just going to swallow it up, like the Egyptians have swallowed up. Apply the word of God. Think, what does it mean for me? Take the analogy of those stories and apply it to your life. Meditate on it. Think of the words and let them flow over you. You know, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. What a great word to, uh, to meditate on, liberty. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Just say it over and over. Meditate on it. Let those words go into your heart. Of course, you should obey it. You should do what the word says. 
And then, you know, if God says, forgive, you should forgive. That's how you get rooted in God's word. You let the word of God define you. And then finally, pray it. Pray the prayers that other people have prayed in your history across the Bible. Make them your own prayers. Pray the, the commands of God like forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lord, help me forgive so-and-so down the road who's got on my nerves again. There's a wonderful quote which I couldn't find, so I'm going to do a bad job. But somebody once said something which was really good. is that those with broken Bibles rarely have broken lives. I don't know, have I quoted that correctly? But it's a great quote. Those whose Bibles are ripped and falling apart, often their lives are not particularly falling apart. Because of the wisdom of God, they've rooted themselves in it. And we're going to do something now. If you've brought your Bible here this morning, we can just do it like this. A little glance down so no one can see. Um, but just look at your Bible for a second. Glance down. What, what shapes it in this morning? Is it pristine? Is it absolutely look like it's never been read? Are any pages falling out? If it's in pristine condition and other areas of your life aren't, uh, this is fairly new, by the way just to be clear. Uh, my other one was falling apart. Um, but maybe there's a reason. The correlation is there. Maybe you need to be opening this but more so this falls apart. And maybe some of those other areas won't if you let God's wisdom root you and define you. And so um, let's ask another question. How, can we, how do we get to be rooted in God's word? How can we get to be rooted in God's word? We've done that. Sorry. Why should we be rooted in God's word is a much better question now. So we root ourselves in God's word by reading it, memorizing it, applying it, meditating on it, obeying it and praying it. But why should we do that? What is the importance of rooting ourselves in the word of God? Surely you can come to church, have a nice time of worship, fun with your friends, serve God, believe, pray, do all those things. Why is reading the Bible so important? The first reason is so that you can know God properly. I'm going to borrow someone from the congregation. I'm just thinking who people don't know who's relatively new. Um, I'm just thinking it's really hard, isn't it? Don't worry, I won't do it. Peter, do you mind if I borrow you? You're relatively new and you did answer too quickly earlier on. <laughs> can, yeah, yeah, if you could. Um, you're not that new. To be fair, Peter and Barbara have been coming about a year. You want to say? So everyone, the problem is everyone else had their them yeah, quicker. Yeah, just over a year. Just over a year. Yeah. So, okay, so you're, you're kind of... I asked somebody else, but they're not here this morning. Um, so I'm going to ask Peter... No, I'm going to ask you a selection of questions about Peter, and you tell me if you think you know the answer. And uh, hopefully it'll make sense. So what is Peter's... Barbara, you can't answer, obviously. Um, you should, well, actually, if you don't know, maybe, maybe this is a, a good time <laughs> to not. Um, so what is Peter's favourite colour? Anyone? Has it a guess? Green, blue, don't tell us yet. Um, green, blue, anybody else? Sorry? Purple? Don't look like a purple kind of guy, I've got to say. I know, but don't give any hints. Okay, um, what is Peter's favourite sport that he likes watching? No? <laughs> Netball? He doesn't like it, doesn't he? What did Peter do? What was his first job? Sorry? <laughs> well, no, no, this Peter. <laughs> That's cheesy. What was Peter's first job? Come give me a guess. Just shout something at anything. Paperboy? Okay, anybody else? Soldier. Soldier. It's a um, Okay, good. Okay, let's ask one more other question I can ask you. Um, okay, if you could go anywhere on holiday. Well, if Peter could have any, go anywhere on holiday, where would he go? Well, Christine and, and Barry and Brenda are not allowed to answer. <laughs> 
Spain, anybody else at the back? You were very quiet at the back. I don't know why you were always quiet at the back. Sorry? Australia? Clacton. <laughs> Sorry, I made me spit. Um, <laughs> Clacton is actually very nice. Anyway, okay, so, uh, so there we are. So um, none of us are any of the wiser, are we? But we've all had a really good guess. Do you mind just standing there for two seconds while I just talk for a bit? Um, the thing about the Bible, the thing about the nature of God is, as you know, he's a God who reveals who he is. He reveals his character to us. He wants us to know. And almost the very first words in Genesis chapter 1 are, and God said. God is a God who speaks. In John chapter 1, when we're introduced to the saviour of the world, he's not just called the saviour, he's called the word of God. Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God, that they speak forth his praise. And the law in the Old Testament was recognised as being self-revelation, God revealing his character. These weren't just oh, things to obey, they were his very character. Psalm uh, Isaiah 40. I'll be with you in a minute. Um, Isaiah 40. <laughs> Sorry. I might just slow down, Peter. Um, Isaiah 40, verse uh, 28 to 30, uh, 31. I love this. Do you not know? Have you not heard? In other words, someone's being saying, God's been saying this. Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. But I love that. Have you not heard because God has said it. It's been said, and our job is simply to listen. So let's uh, put Peter out of his misery. Um, so let me ask you the question you can answer. So let me ask you, what is your favourite colour? Red. Red. Is that because of... Yes. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know. It's, it's bad news on that front, yes. And I've forgotten you. I'll one correct of, it in a minute. I forgot you were one of them. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not. You're not? Good. Um, what, was, what was the other question I asked? Um, what was your first job? Uh, well, if it's excluding paper boy, a, a soldier. Soldier, okay. Um, what else did I ask? I've forgotten. Where would I go on holiday? Oh, where was you, what was your favourite sport? Football. Obviously. Um, obviously. And uh, if you go anywhere in the world, where would you go on holiday? Uh, I think I'd like to go back to Australia. Actually. Back to Australia, okay. So, so not Clacton, just to be clear. Yeah, yeah, well, and, and it's not netball either. Okay, definitely good. not. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. But the point of doing that, the point of doing that, is that actually, that's kind of what it is with the Bible, isn't it? And knowing God. I can look at, I can deduce from creation that there's a God, that he's omnipotent, he's all the things that we might say. But to truly know him, I must know his word. And actually, uh, there's a very good quote. Um, this is not quite the right one, but um, it says, no God, no hope, no God, no hope. You could say, no Bible, no God. Know your Bible, know your God. And actually, if you don't read your Bible, you don't actually know God the way you think you do. A lot of it's guesswork. A lot of it's picking up perhaps from what other people say, or you hear from the front, or we sing. But actually, if you want to truly know the God that you serve, you must be rooted in his word. So we must root ourselves in God's word because it helps us to know God. The second reason we must root ourselves in God's word is it gives us strength. So going back to Psalm 1 again. Psalm 1, we're told that a person that obeys the word of God is like a tree standing by a stream and the roots of a tree um, keep it standing up don't they and actually um, the, 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 the roots of a tree can often be quite thin or very thin in comparison to the, the trunk you can get a great big tree with little, little um, branches and roots that, sorry roots that, that spread out and they're so small and you think how does that hold this tree in place but if you've ever tried to take a stump out of the ground you'll know actually roots 
keep a tree standing up. So when a tree does fall down, you think, goodness, that's really bad. When I was in Croydon, when we were in Croydon, I should say, we lived together then, and uh, we were married and everything, but um, we were there in Croydon, and we had a little stump in our back garden. I'm not kidding, it was that big. And I said to Andrew, I'll get this out in 10 minutes, don't worry, be fine. <laughs> so I got my little shovel, like that, and, and I thought, well, it's not... So I thought after a few little digs it would come out. No, no, an hour and a half later, I had a pickaxe, quite a big shovel, and eventually it managed, to, it managed to get it out. And it was only like that, but the roots were so stuck. My father-in-law uh, took it to a whole new level. I hope you won't mind me telling this story. Um, he, he had a much bigger stump in his house. This is when I first met Andrea, and, and Alan's brilliant. He's, he's the man I want to be, really, in so many respects. Uh, he had a big stump, and he couldn't get it out. He tried with shovels and axes, and, uh, and Alan just got a big bit of rope, tied it, uh, to the stump all the way through the house to the back of his car and drove up the road. Brilliant. I think he got it, to be fair, not once has he never done what he set out to do. Everything I do, I do correctly and it fails. But Alan just does it. He's, very, he's a very clever chap. Anyway, but Psalm 1 likens us to a tree. You could have used any number of things, the writer of Psalm, but the one who meditates and, and follows and obeys God's word is like a tree with those roots that go into the ground. It keeps you strong. Do you want to be strong? Do you want to stand up in the midst of a storm in your life? Well, the main way you do it is by rooting yourself in the word of God. Psalm 1 goes on to say in verses 4 and 5 that I read out, it gives the complete opposite of what a strong person looks like. So it uses the language righteous and unrighteous, but you could rewrite that as a, a believer or a non-believer. Those who trust in the Bible, those who don't trust in the Bible. Those who trust in God's word are like a tree planted by a stream. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff where the wind blows away. The storm comes, not even a storm, a light breeze. And they're blown off course, they're blown away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in a judgment. We'll be able to stand when our lives are re- reviewed because we're covered in Christ and we're strong. We're strong in the Lord when we root ourselves in his word. Think of Job in the Old Testament. There's a man that lost absolutely everything. If you know the story of Job, it's awful. He lost his family, he lost his wealth, he lost his reputation, he even lost his health. He lost everything. And yet, because he was rooted in the revelation, the truth of God, he could utter what is the most wonderful phrase a suffering person could say. In verse 19, verse 25, I know that my Redeemer lives, that in the end he will stand on the earth. After my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. How wonderful that when you're rooted in God, you could lose everything earthly to you. Everything could go wrong. Yet he who lost everything was able to say, I know my Redeemer lives. He had hope because he was strong in the promises and the truths of God. If you're going through a hard time, you need to know God better so you can stand tough. Um, Anne read to us the words of Matthew 4, 1 to 11, about Jesus resisting temptation, not by willpower, or by taking it easy, but by quoting the words of God. So the third reason we must root ourselves in God's word is that roots feed us. It's interesting that Psalm 1 describes the location of this tree. It says the person whose delight is in the law of the Lord, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. How brilliant is that? The person that roots themselves in God's word is healthy, is well-fed, is prosperous in the things they do for God because the wisdom of God is coming out of their life. Psalm 119, 
describes in wonderful terms, verses 103 to 104, this is why we didn't read it, because it's too long, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, and therefore I hate every wrong path. The writer of that psalm just thought, I've seen the true path through life and it's wonderful. I've heard the words of God like dripping honey and they're beautiful and they taste sweet. I almost hate every other way because this is the best way. Some of you here this morning may be being tempted by the things of the world. You may think that the way that everybody else is going is fun and got more to it, but there does come a day when the fun stops and it stops being as fun as it was. Sadly, it's called middle age. And you look back and you think, do you know what? It's just embarrassing now and I wish I'd not done it. I regret that and I regret this and I wish I'd not done that. But there is a way, the way, the truth and the life, Jesus Christ and faith in him. But the word of God keeps us healthy and strong. They say you are what you eat, but I'd like to say you are what you read. You are what you listen to. You are what you think about. I'll ask another question and don't have to answer it. What do you do first when you wake up? What's the first thing that goes into your heart and your head when your eyes open? Is it Radio 4, if you're slightly older? I don't do Radio 4, I'm, I'm still quite immature. Um, I'm not ready for that. Um, is it Radio 4? Is it the newspaper? Maybe you read The Guardian or The Times, I don't know if they're right or wrong. Um, maybe it's the telly on, listen to the news. Maybe you read your novel, open the Kindle in bed, or whatever it is. I wonder if this is the first thing that goes into your heart before you do anything else. Maybe it needs to start being the first thing that we do because you are what you read, you are what you hear, you are what you think about. And finally, um, roots define us. Roots define our shape and our height and our health and our strength. It says, someone by a stream. A stream is obviously flowing fresh, good water, not by a stagnant lake. You see, if you root yourself in ungodly things, in sinful words, you'll grow misshaped, won't you? There's a picture of a, as a diseased tree. And, uh, and if you root yourself in contaminated soil with the words that aren't the words of God, there's a big danger you're going to grow up twisted, misshapen, unable to straighten yourself up because actually you're not being rooted in what's healthy and good and strong. We are all being defined as human beings in the 21st century. Every single one of us in this room is defined and molded by the voice of the media. Whether you watch it on the telly or read it in the newspaper or go on the internet, every single one of us, every single one of those news outlets or, or, or websites or whatever carry a message. Every single one of them carry a way of thinking, a perspective. And even more so now with the advent of social media and things like YouTube. And what's really worrying now this morning is that actually in all the most important issues for a human being, there is only one voice. Think of the most current issue, things like gender and identity. These are the two things that are talked about endlessly in the media. Our young people, particularly, hear only one voice. They hear only one perspective. All the things that to do with personhood and who you are, gender and identity, are now only being taught from one perspective, which is you choose. You choose. And every choice is okay. And I put to you, Christians, that our society, our children, especially when the national curriculum changes next September, research it, desperately needs a second voice. It desperately needs 
another perspective on all those things and everything else besides. Because there's only one voice. And our young people are gripped and hooked on it. If you watch what our children look at on YouTube, it is utter nonsense. And it is hollow and shallow. And they're all at the same time, they are more confused than they've ever been, probably ever. And yet, suicide and depression and anxiety continue to rise. Our society needs a second voice. And it is up to us to provide it. Because the wisdom of God is the only voice that people need to hear. And so I'll say, if you're a parent this morning, you may be wondering what you say to your children as they get older about all these things. Well, I'll say to you first, you need to teach them what's in this book. They need to be exposed to the very word of God. Because what's happening at the moment is that where there's only one voice, there is no questioning, there is no pondering, there is no weighing up of whether society's view of life is right and healthy and correct. But if you put the word of God as a second voice, maybe a young people grow and ask questions. Is there another way? Is there a better way? Is this all there is for me? Or is there something more wonderful? Our society worships personal choice rather than a personal God. And it longs for a second voice. And what's tragic is we have it. But sometimes we don't even read it. And we need to be people that read it and digest it and eat it almost so that we share it with the world around us in love. Judges. I wasn't, I wasn't sure to end with this. The book of Judges um, documents the fall of a nation. Um, or the fall of lots of tribes, but we say nation for this. And at the end of the book of Judges, after you read all sorts of horrendous things that went on, as people did whatever they fancied, everything got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. We read these words in verse 25 of Judges 21. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Does that sound familiar? There is a king. People need to know him. We need to be people that love him and know him so we can share him with people. I want to end with a quote by Charles Spurgeon. If you don't know Charles Spurgeon, he was a very famous Baptist minister a few hundred years ago. Um, and he was a brilliant guy, obviously. And, um, and he said this about the Bible. It's a brilliant quote. I have to turn around so I haven't got it in front of me. He said, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose and the lion will defend Itself, And he's talking about uh, something much bigger there, but the point is our society needs God to roar over it. Thinking about a conference recently, it needs the word of God to define it and shape it. Our young people need a second voice. They desperately need a second voice because the one they get is not helping them in the slightest. But not just them, adults as well. And so I encourage you this morning to be rooted in the word of God for your own sake, for the sake of your family for the sake of your friends, for the sake of your enemies, for the sake of society, even more so with all that's coming next. Shall we pray? Lord God, we lift up, Lord, these thoughts to you this morning. And Lord, I just ask that you would be a God who speaks into our hearts. Father God, may we not um, be a people that go through the motions, Father God, without going through your word. May we be people, Lord, that listen for your voice in all the ways you speak. But Lord, may we be people resting in your word so we can measure, Lord, everything we, we hear, everything we say, Father, against the perfect, which is your word. 
Father God, may we be people that hear your voice and then speak your wisdom, Lord, into a broken society. Lord, into our families. We pray for our children, that they would grow up, Lord, not just hearing one side, but hearing, Lord, your truth and your love and your wisdom and your grace. So, Lord, they get something to weigh life up against. Lord, they get a, a measure that is perfect, that is righteous, that is good. So, Lord, the confusion that reigns in our society, they might be spared. Father, we pray that your church would stand again in your word. That, Lord, we would love it again. That we would read it and digest it and share it and speak it. And Lord, we ask this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.